0: We may be both under the weather, but we're still here. And because we're able to speak, though not well, that's not really that much different than how the show normally goes. So it is TJ Zuppi and Zach Meisel back again for the latest edition of the Selby is Godcast. What is up,
1: my sick brother? I'm glad you included we're still here, like, like we're, we're still alive. Well, it had been a... About a week since he last
0: recorded this and we had planned to do these semi regularly and then both of us as we're heading into the weekend and planning to record another podcast both fell ill. So if you were just following the podcast feed and you heard that we were going to do this really quite often in the offseason and then no other podcast came down the pike, you might be
1: wondering what the hell happened to those guys. This is true. I, this was the most predictable thing that's ever happened. I, I think I get sick the exact same week every single year. I think it's my body telling me, hey, we've had enough baseball and writing, and it's just maybe time to chill for a week. Um, but, and, and it happens when the, the weather changes too, so it's, it, it's like clockwork every year.
0: Mine always takes place in spring training. Once you get like a week of that dust, from the desert filling your lungs i always come down with something so it's always like right when when spring training is about ended and i'm coming back home and uh, right when you should be at your peak energy wise as the season is about to start that was typically when i felt my shittiest so, so you this just got one is swept
1: up in a haboob.
0: yeah uh, yeah that's typically what happens to me so this one's a little bit out of character but my whole house has been sick and kids have been up every single night middle of the night and I've been forced to watch, find shows to watch at 2 and 3 in the morning. So I can, I can relate. It's not been a, a pleasant experience this past week. But we're, we're going to power through. At least I hope we will.
1: Speaking of unpleasant experiences. Heyo. So something I'm working on. I, I, I wanted to pick your brain. Is there anyone who you've ever had to interview? Or anyone who you, if you ever had to interview someone... Who would just like make you lose your shit, basically? <laughs> um, like, I, I think you get to a point doing this job. Like, the first okay, the first person I ever interviewed for a story was Frank Herman. I was, I was an intern who was writing the uh, when they used to have those those game programs at Progressive Field, like the little five dollar ones that, or maybe they were free. Maybe everyone got them for free. The, the, like they had like a feature story in the middle. And they switched it out every few weeks, and I wrote the feature stories for the middle of the program. And I, the first one I wrote was Frank Herman, and I remember going up to him and and talking to him about. He was a Harvard grad, and like, this was like one of the last guys on the roster. The nicest guy in the world, too, and super personable. Um, but I was like terrified, and I was nervous and sweating and everything. That that gets beaten out of you pretty quickly, you know. You do this job long enough and you talk to enough people and you you interview guys who you remember watching when you were a kid and you interview all-stars and hall of famers and like it becomes second nature and I think you you lose that uh maybe anxiety but is there anyone who you still if you had to interview them or maybe someone you have interviewed in the past who just like you can't sleep at night thinking about having to talk <laughs> to them the next morning um that's a two-part answer. First, if
0: it's anything over the phone, I get sweaty palms if I have to call the pizza shop to place an order. I don't like, I don't like that interaction on the phone. I would much rather be able to talk to a person in person or through text. So anything over the phone, I always just get some sort of anxiety. So I guess that falls in that, that same category. I, (laughs) I, The first thing that comes to mind though, and you're right, it does get beat out of you pretty quickly. I think there's always some level of, if you're going to go talk one-on-one with somebody, especially if it's a story you're really excited about, there's a little bit of a spike in adrenaline. And I think almost like a player will tell you that even if they've taken the mound a hundred times, there's always just a little bit probably of adrenaline and anxiety and all those things kind of running through your body. And I think that's probably the same for us. We get excited. We get uh, nervous that we want to get the the right answers coming back, so we want to make sure we ask the right questions. And I think all those things are normal, and and so that's not what you're talking about here. You're talking about like actually shitting your pants thinking about <laughs> talking to a player, right, or a person, or a front office member. That's that's the level of
1: of anxiety you're feeling. I mean, I would say figuratively, yes, but uh, maybe well, you're on the verge, sick. maybe on the verge of literally. I mean, it, it's. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, this, this person is, so I, I've had communication this yes. is a project I've been working on for a while and I've had communication with this person and like, there was some anxiety going in and I, you know, you, you, I put it off for a long time too. And you build this up in your head, like, how might this interview go? And what if they say no from the beginning? And like, what are all the possibilities, even the most <laughs> far-fetched ones? Like, what if they answer the phone, yell, fuck you and hang up? Like, and like, it is playing out just the conversation before the interview, which who even knows if it'll happen. It's playing out like my worst case scenario <laughs> possibly could have. So I'm completely mind fucked right now and just trying to to play these mind games. And, and now I'm just absolutely dreading an interview if it does or doesn't happen. I mean, it's just a mess. And there are like, like, like you have 100 interviews and 99 of them go fine and, and you don't think twice about it and the person says yeah sure i've got 10 minutes at this time of day and you talk and whatever and like this is the one that this experience is is not going to leave me for a long time <laughs> and so i can't one... wait to be able to share more right. on this yes. in the
0: future so the one that is is like that for me and it's a little bit of a different setting because this took place when i was working on the radio and was part of uh an afternoon radio show and we had an opportunity. We were at the IX Center, of all places. I think it was one of, one of the auto shows that were taking place. And we used to broadcast from there for a week. So they would bring, because the auto show brings in athletes and famous people, sometimes the Cleveland usually. Um, and they come in and they sign autographs. And if you're broadcasting from there, usually they're lucky, you're lucky enough that they'll bring one of those guys over to you. Um, and throughout the week, you usually get a couple of Browns players, maybe a Cavs player or two. Um, maybe something kind of obscure. And then, you know, for me, I was thinking, can we get please just get one baseball-related person up on the stage for us? Well, we got one of those, and it was former Cleveland Indians slugger Albert Bell. And so automatically for me, because I grew up in that era as a, being an Indians fan, you think Albert Bell. My only interaction when I was younger with Albert Bell was my parents and I had gone to a game. I think it was maybe 1996 if memory serves. And we happened to be leaving the ballpark just as he was leaving the players lot. And so he actually pulled out in front of us. And as he drove by, he waved at us. I don't know if maybe he just felt bad about pulling out in front of us in the middle of traffic, but you know, he, he waved at us and I was like, Oh my God, that was Albert bell guys. And, and just making sure we waved back. Cause we don't have any, road raids that we want to take part in here (laughs) that was my only interaction with albert bell uh in my youth and now he was going to be on the stage and i was going to be part of a crew that was asking him questions on the radio and it internally had me excited freaked out because this is albert freaking bell you don't know what to expect you you hear all the stories uh good and bad and and you're just not sure which albert bell is going to be part of, of this interview And he he comes up on the stage. He shakes hands. He's he's smiling. He's you think okay, this is going to be good. And I can remember I asked. I I don't remember exactly what the question was, but it was something down the path of talking about just kind of the the narrative around the type of person and player that he was. The intense player, the guy that would go break a thermostat if the temperature wasn't right, or if he would go oh for, four, you know, look out, he could smash a Gatorade bottle, you know, the, that sort of a personality. And I was talking that. And I, as I started this question, I realized, Oh shit, I don't want to be the person that's saying you were this guy. I don't want to, I don't want to say that I want to be put, I want to put this on somebody else. So I said, you know, there was a a narrative out there about that. You are this type of player. There were people that would say that, and I was just made very clear that it was not coming from me I was putting this on everybody else. And so I asked the question, and at one point, he just locks eyes with me. He has no expression. And as I stared into his eyes and I just caught that intense glance, I realized why every pitcher feared facing this dude. And I thought for a split second, I was going to die. And he answered the question, fine. And like I said, he was all smiles. He was very cordial. It was a very pleasant experience with Albert Bell on the stage. And afterwards, the the two guys that I was doing the show with, they ripped me up and down. Oh, you were so scared to ask the question and have this hard-hitting question. And I'm thinking, first of all, screw all you guys because I was the only one that even touched this topic. And second of all, yeah, of course I'm going to do that. Look at this guy. He's coming up on stage, hasn't played ball in forever, and looks like he could just end all of us with a thought. So I don't want to hear that from anybody else. So to answer your question, yes, to me, the only person I can think of right now that would cause me some level of fear and anxiety talking to him, it would be Albert Bell.
1: You know, that's, that's funny. I, I, I want to say, what was the year he was inducted into the Indians Hall of Fame? Was it 2015 maybe? Uh, I thought and it was maybe
0: a little bit further back. Yeah, I mean, it was semi-recon. 14 semi-right, or 15.
1: Reasonably. Yeah. First of all, it's funny that, you know, he'll, he'll come to Cleveland for the uh, Ix auto show because they'll pay him to be there but he won't come back for his own indians hall of fame induction um and i remember i wrote at the time i, I wrote like a, a stupid gimmicky little like letter uh in the field of dream style where it was like albert if you come they will they will cheer you um like instead of if you build it they will come and I wrote that for cleveland.com and then I even like recorded, uh, like pretending I was James Earl Jones. Um, and I remember, I, God, I, ran we need the, that audio, yeah. Let's hope that that doesn't exist anymore. I, I, we ran that. I want to say we were in like, I, I want to say we were in Minnesota because I remember it was me, Jordan Bastion, and Paul Hoynes were on the road. And, um, I, the one thing I hadn't dawned on me was like, what if Albert Bell? read this and was like what idiot wrote this stupid shit <laughs> um, and like I, I always have thought like i, I want to just like look him in the eye and be like dude come back to cleveland people will love you uh but I, that makes me think that it's it's probably more about money or something else than than just him being afraid of how fans would would react um, but any anyway the point is so like later in the series, wherever if we were in Minnesota or something, I was, I was away from Jordan and Paul at one point for a little bit. I don't know if I was interviewing someone or whatever. Jordan texts me and says, Hoinsy on the phone with Albert bell right now, which Albert bell was known to, he'd randomly call Hoinsey once. I don't know, like once a year, just to like bitch about something. Um, and so th- it was realistic, and I was like, what are they talking about? And Jordan played it off like Albert Bell was asking Hoinsey who wrote this stupid letter um, It pisses me off. And and I'm like, like freaking out wherever I was, and I'm like, oh, my God, you have to be kidding me. Like, I don't know what to do. And, and then Jordan told me he was, he was making it up. But that was – I mean that wasn't even me talking to Albert Bell. It was a completely fabricated thing, and, <laughs> and I was – I had that fear – put into me just like you did. I mean, it's that guy's aura is just unlike any others.
0: Yeah. That's the only one I could think of off the top of my head. And I'm sure if you ran down through a catalog list, you could probably find other others that would be extremely intimidating to talk to, but not quite to the level of bell. I mean, you can talk to guys that you're intimidated by and still get through the interview just fine. Albert Bell is a guy that legitimately scares me and I'm not sure <laughs> if I could, if, if I was tasked with doing that again, especially in more of a one-on-one setting, I don't know that, uh, I could keep the, the nerves calm enough to be able to go through and ask everything I needed to ask.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always a weird one too. When you, when it's someone you grew up watching, um, and then you're talking to them and, Like, like there's a weird dynamic there too. It's like, cause you were a player when I was a kid and I was mimicking your batting stance and I don't know. And, and there are some players who like, they'll, they'll challenge you. Or, I mean, even like Terry Francona, I think if I was, if I was a rookie reporter, uh, sitting in on the Terry Francona press conference, maybe not so now, I think he's softened a little bit, but like when he first came to Cleveland, if you were, if you were new, if you weren't around every day, you had to bring it. I mean, I think you still do to a degree, but he—he he will like look at you weird if if he doesn't quite understand what you're saying. If he is a little bit skeptical of who you are or how much you know um, or how much you're around, like you can't like you have to do your homework in advance. I I think Trevor Bauer would fit that too. Yeah, um, guys, who like you better be prepared if you're going to talk to them. I think Albert Bell is like that. I think. There are other guys from the 90s teams who were like that as well. I mean, and in reality, you should be prepared sure. to talk to whoever you're, you're interviewing
0: because it's, it's a little unfair to sit back there and just lob idiotic questions and then if you don't like the answers, say, well, uh, you know, this, this press conference didn't go very well. Well, I and mean, yet, it's, on, it's, on, it's on you to help bring out and facilitate some of those good answers that you are looking for. Uh, I mean, Trevor Bauer does fit into that category a little bit. I'm sure for some people that had never covered him before that only read what he says on Twitter or uh, see him throw a ball over the center field fence or, or whatever, maybe they would be intimidated. Maybe they just wouldn't like him. Uh, we've talked about this before. You and I loved covering Trevor Bauer. I, I loved every, I loved having him as a resource in the clubhouse because he was a guy that I mean, God, even when he was busy, if you asked him, if you legitimately needed to know something and you were showing a genuine interest in it and, and, and you just needed some answers, he would sit there and explain it to you in as simple a terms as he possibly could for seemingly hours on end. And you, you don't catch that a lot from, from players. And maybe just because he has the brain to think in all these different uh, ways that, uh, typically you don't see, but I I loved having him as a resource in the clubhouse. And it it is, uh, I'm sure it's, uh, it's probably like that for a lot of, of players that you've never had an interaction with that you in your mind think, Oh, he's going to be one way. And then you talk to him and it's completely different than anything you ever could have expected. And I'm thinking of, I, I remember, I know you remember this when you went and talked to in spring training, Niger Morgan, Oh, God. And I remember you came back and you (laughs) essentially had, what, a transcript of the 20 words that he said to you? It did not go well. And yet, as the year went on, he gave me, or gave us, I should say, but just me personally, some of the most memorable quotes that I could ever remember when he was talking about scaling the wall and talking about how he's flexing for the kids and all this bullshit (laughs) that he would say after games that was just so... Freaking funny. And I think back to that first interaction that you had with him in spring training, and it just was nowhere close to some of the other
1: uh, press conferences that he was a part of. That was maybe the most uncomfortable I've ever been in an interview in a clubhouse. I mean, he, I, I walked over. I, I think I was doing a story on guys who had played in Japan and was talking about like, what the differences were and what they learned from it and if they enjoyed the experience. Because he Indians had a bunch. Scott Atchison, Nigel Morgan, and uh, I think they had a couple of others. Um, but, like, he, every – I think he – I wanted to say, like, if he said 20 words in that interview, I think 10 of them were no. And it was just one-word <laughs> answers. And I was like – it was like uh, the type of question that you can't really answer yes or no, but he'd just say no, and that'd be it. And, like, you're not – you don't go in preparing for that like, you have follow-ups to some questions, but, like, usually a follow-up is just building off the momentum of the previous answer. Well, when the answer was no and you asked, like, what were your favorite parts about Japan, <laughs> like, what are you supposed to say? So, I, I, yeah, that – the unpredictability – and that's big in spring training, too, when you don't know yes. half the guys in there. Um, it's – it can be a little nerve-wracking. Um, but that I think it's fun, too, because – like the first time you ever talk to someone, almost can set the tone for like that relationship for a long time. If if someone seems like they're an interesting person, if they, um, like I remember Mike Clevenger. The first time we ever talked to him, his debut in twenty is that twenty fifteen now, or I think twenty fifteen. Yeah, fifteen um, in Cincinnati, and and like he is. It's incredible the growth he's made just as an interview subject. Because now he will give you. First of all, he gives you colorful quotes and gives you really good insight and, and honest insight. Um, he's he's great, and he's always been honest. But when he first came up, every answer was like three or four words, and he seemed more nervous to talk to us than he did to pitch. But I remember his debut because, um, like, I sat with his family in the crowd, and like I was kind of chronicling the entire day, everything leading up to it and afterwards, and. Um, I remember talking to him just like, I'm like, (laughs) look, man, I, I, I've been with your family. I've like followed you around all day. Like I'm trying to get every detail I can, but like every answer is like two words. Now there it's interesting when he's, when he says that he was vomiting for 45 minutes before the game and missed his, his pregame like stretch routine. Like that's really entertaining. Um, but it was like, you could tell he would be a really interesting guy. You just needed Mm -hmm. to get that that side out of him you needed to make him more comfortable um so it's just it's interesting how everyone is so different um and there are guys who have come up and like the first time you talk to him you're like huh that guy's kind of an asshole like i don't know (laughs) if i ever need to talk to him again like so it's it's just all over the spectrum it's it's it can be a little unnerving but it's it's fun too like like when Puig when we came over this year it was like holy shit, like, I don't know what to expect with this guy. You hear all the stories. And then one of the first times we talked to him in Minneapolis after he was waving to the Twins Defenders, and after the game he starts talking about chasing chickens and racing horses and throwing mangoes in Cuba, and you're like, oh, my God, this guy is so entertaining. And, like, this is someone I would love to talk to more often. So it's it's just all over the place. Yeah. You never really know.
0: Nope. And we, we can talk about Puig a little bit and maybe touch on some of the – the recent news and housekeeping stuff to kind of wrap up this this podcast today but i was just thinking more along the lines of the first interaction you've had and there are some times where it's the first interaction you have is for an actual you know takeout story something you're you're trying to go deep on or you're just trying to get to know a guy for a little bit of a, a story and you might come in you might read something about a player and think oh well this is this is a surefire way to get in the door and, and start talking about something that's it's extremely comfortable for him because there's, he, I can read all these stories here where he's saying X is super important to him. So I'm going to lead off talking about that. And once I get him talking about that, then we're all comfortable. And then, you know, hopefully it all goes great. And there are situations where you talk to, them, you go in with that, that one thing you think is a can't miss topic and you talk to them and they just give you nothing. <laughs> and you're like, Oh, that was now that what? was supposed that was supposed to be the, the icebreaker and it gave me nothing. And now I'm just standing here awkwardly. So there's situations like that. There are times where your first interaction might be just a like for me, my first interaction with Tyler Clippard this year was just checking on him after he left a game in spring training. Then I ended up having him miss some time earlier in the year, just checking up to see if he was OK. And it's like, hey, hey, I'm TJ, by the way, I cover you. Uh, are are you all right? (laughs) It's, it's it's really weird. And there are those times where you do, you talk to somebody, you think the quotes aren't that great, but you can tell the seeds are there for planting. And this is going to be a return on that investment in a couple of years. This guy is going to be an extremely great resource for us. There are times where you, you leave and you go, just like you said, "Eh, we probably don't need this guy ever again, unless it's something Pertaining to a particular part of the game that they blow, or it's a great play, or it's a game-winning play, or something to that effect. And then there are times where it it could be really frustrating. The the one that I can think of is Greg Allen, because you read if you read Mm -hmm. Greg's quotes, they are so bland. Just reading them, they are so boring. But if you actually talk to Greg, he's usually very engaging. He's smiling. He laughs. when you talk to him, the, the, the conversation sounds a lot different than when you actually transcribe it on paper. And it can be really frustrating because you, you could have a conversation with him and go, wow, that went really well. And we learned some really good things, and he was very personable. And you go transcribe it, and it looks like nothing. It looks like nothing you can use. And I don't think there's – there's probably nothing more frustrating than leaving an interview thinking you've got some really great stuff. And some really good color and personality on somebody, and then you type it all out, and it just doesn't translate. And the the only guy I could think of like that was poor Greg Allen. And I don't mean to rip on
1: Greg. No, you know I, what's funny about that? What? Remember the catch he made in in Boston? This was a yeah Boston this year. I think it was like a leaping or a diving catch in like right center field um, to save a game. It was a crazy game, uh, and. Or Seattle. It was in Seattle. Remember it early in the season in April? Um, I'm thinking of – I know the ones he had in Boston where,
0: like, he went up into the triangle to make
1: yeah um, really long-running It was in Seattle because it was, like, a diving catch toward the warning track. Um, I think it was to save a game, too. But he – so we're talking to him after the game, and he starts – he pauses for a second, and he starts to say, all right, I'll tell you now what – Plowecki and someone else were yelling at me from, from the dugout railing. And we're like, oh, wow, you're, like, telling an anecdote? This is a first? Because like... usually he's like, you know, I'm just trying to do my job out there and, and got a good beat on the ball and, you know, just was fortunate enough to make a good catch and just trying to do anything I can to help my team win the game. And it's like, oh, come on. <laughs> but then he, he starts saying this, and we're like, wait, what did Plowecki yell at you? Like, was something interesting? And then he's like – he pauses, and he's like, uh, actually – nah I can't give you guys that and I'm like what like, you're just teasing us now How? Do you... and, and it like it let us in and let us know that this guy is interesting and, and more interesting yeah. than he leads on um, but some guys just don't want to open up like that and then you have the other end of the spectrum um, I, I typically don't like to give away all my trade secrets on like Jim Rosenhaus always asks like how did you get this player talking about the time that they saved their family from a burning building or their kid got run over by a car and i'm like you just got us gracious because cool well, because like you end up writing about this kind of stuff and it's like you think back how did we stumble onto that topic in the first place well you get someone like Framil reyes who one of the first few t- i had talked to him a few times because the very first time i ever talked to him i think you were there that day and we were like did this really just happen? And he pulls out his phone, and he he has on his save, <laughs> videos saved on his phone of all of his favorite home runs, and he's like watching the pitchers' reactions and like laughing and stuff. And from that point, the first time I ever talked to him, I knew like this guy's amazing personality is humongous, and what a fun, warm guy. A couple weeks later, it might not even have been that long, but we were in Detroit, and I I knew he had a tattoo on each arm that said Federico. And I asked, I think I may have even started the conversation by asking what those, who Federico was, or just like what the tattoos were. Cause he has some really interesting tattoos. Next thing I know, this guy is like just volunteering all this information about his father's tragic death and how hard his mom worked to, to raise their family and provide for them. And, like it's incredible, and I'm not making light of his family situation. Like, like I'm not standing there saying like, yes, yes. Like I've got this gold. Like, you certainly commiserate with people, and you you're appreciative that they are even willing to share this. But for him, I was like sitting back in his chair in his locker and just like telling me his whole life story. And I simply just went up to him to ask about his tattoos, um, and and like how he was fitting in in Cleveland. And it got to the point where after like a half hour, like I know Puig and Santana were like bickering and and like teasing him from the other side of the clubhouse like are you ever going to stop talking like they're yelling (laughs) stuff at him um but it's like it's people like that who are open and want their story out there and like i mean it's it makes for such a great relationship and and such a great environment in the clubhouse and like it, it helps you build that rapport where like I know anytime I have a question like he's he's going to be a really good resource and, and can provide some insight that maybe other guys aren't willing to. And it's it's those are the best guys like from our standpoint. Self-esteem. Yeah. Yeah. And we've <laughs> a few of those guys have
0: left the locker room over the past few years. And every time they leave, regardless of what their performance was on the field, you're like, damn, that sucks. You know, I see Josh Tomlin pitching in the playoffs. I'm reminded of not only all the, the great, great things he would say about his teammates. And all, I mean, if you needed background on anything and you just needed another player to talk about it. I mean, how easy was he to track down? Just ridiculously easy and he would give you as much time as you ever wanted. And anytime one of those guys, like I said, regardless of what they did on the field, I know fans go, oh, well, he had a 60 RA, See you later. You know, I think privately we all go, damn, man, where are we <laughs> going to fill that void? <laughs> where are, we, we needed that performance off the field selfishly that that guy would give us. Um, and so I was thinking about that as he was pitching in the playoffs with the Braves. And, uh, you know, thoughts and prayers to, to Josh, because now he'll be home in the offseason after they get their butts kicked in game five. My goodness. Uh, but the postseason has been to this point. I enjoyed it a lot. It's been some memorable moments, some very cool games. The wild card games are just ridiculous every single year. And we talk about lengthy sample sizes and all these things that baseball needs to get a clear picture of what's good and what's bad. And, and yet we, have, we, we throw all of it out the window for those wild card games and really for these five and seven game series where so much crazy shit can happen. And as we record this today, the team that you and I probably both would have thought or heads and tails above everybody, the Astros, are a, a loss away from, from elimination. I uh, can't believe that that's happening. But is there any uh, – as I was thinking about is there any takeaways or thoughts that you've had from the, watching this postseason as it pertains to the Indians and maybe your thoughts on what they need to accomplish this offseason? Because I, I had a couple of thoughts pop into my head just as I was watching everybody else play and thinking to myself,
1: yeah, that's probably something the Indians need to address a couple things. And and I, I want to preface this by saying like, there is still a bit of randomness to the playoffs. And I don't think there, I don't think these are like hard and fast truths that like, if they don't do this, they don't stand a chance. But a couple things like number one, and I think we learned this last year, you have to have, I think you have to have lineup depth. Um, you can't trot out like a decent one through six that has three holes sitting there at the bottom, because especially in these first, first rounds, like the Astros are only throwing like hall of famers in the division series, basically. And look, they, they might get knocked out in five games, which would be ridiculous. But um I think after two games, everyone was already crowning them. And I think even if that happens, like you still, if you have to go up against Verlander Cole, Granky, Verlander Cole, you have to have depth to your lineup. You have to have, because we've seen it. Like if if Ramirez and Lindor are cold, well, who was going to hit for the Indians the last couple of years? You, You have to have you have to have as many, not even, as many chances of someone getting hot as possible. Yeah, and if you've got even, nine decent hitters, that improves your odds. Yeah, it's it was something that became evident as a
0: real problem area for them throughout the season, and I, I think you're right. But it's something that they would need to, again, consider in the playoffs. You just can't have near-automatic outs in your lineup anywhere. Um, yeah, I, you, One of them is hard enough to overcome, but when you have two or three of them, but when I'm talking automatic outs, I'm talking about guys that are just well below average offensive players where you know they're posting WRC pluses in the 50s and 60s, uh, and maybe that's on a good day. You need as many guys as close to league average as possible, and it's it's something I was already thinking about entering this, this offseason for the Indians, just the number of guys they did put in there that just did not give them anything close to league average production, but... You look, look at the good we teams. Haven't mentioned
1: Eric Stamets or Max Moroff yet. This podcast. Whoops.
0: The good teams are finding ways to send out guys that are what no lower than like twenty percent below league average, and, and that's on a like like I said a bad day. You've got to be able to find those, even for the weak spots in the lineup. They can't con- consistently be be that much below league average, and you to be able to overcome it. I mean, it's it's great when you do have star power and that can, I mean, in a short series, it can work. It's not saying it it's makes it impossible because if your right guys get hot at the right time, then you can score 10 runs in a game and that completely changes the series. You never know. But they need to give themselves as many chances as they can to have just league average production at the bottom of the lineup. And roster depth is going to be a big thing for me. And it's, it's going to be something that, you know, for all, I'm sure we'll get to it at some point. Maybe it's when, Puig signs elsewhere and someone gives them X amount of money to to me. It's not even about spending the mega dollars for the big time free agents. It's being able to just fill out the roster and not have to be as, as, as tight with the spending that you can't take care of two and $3 million guys at the bottom of the lineup and having as many guys as, as possible you're able to weather a storm of injuries and guys just not performing like they should. I mean, even you look at the rays and look who's on the Rays bench and they've got some really talented guys there. And that's why they were able to overcome some injuries. The Yankees, God, how many times we talk about it this year, plugging guys in and, and getting production from, from guys that you never would have expected. I mean, the twins did that this year. You can't have that be the case where you are running out statements and flaherty and, I mean, just, I'm not doing it all over again. Why? Because that's your bit, and I'm not going to steal it from you.
1: What'd you think of Andrew Velasquez?
0: (laughs) That experience was one that I'm ready to sign up for again next year.
1: Carlos Uh, Gonzalez, Hanley Ramirez, Leonis Martin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, let's go.
0: Yeah, no, it's... uh, At the same time, I also don't want to be the type of guy that if at the time I was saying one thing, I don't want to come back later and lambaste them and say, well, you should have signed Sayil Garcia and expected him to be as good as he was this year for the Rays. Well, in the offseason, I don't know if we talked about Garcia or not specifically, but if we did, I probably said I don't have that much interest in him and he would have been a great fit in the outfield. So I'm not going to come back here and say, well, the Indians really missed on that one when me myself at the time was saying, I probably would pass on obviously old Garcia and go in, in a direction elsewhere.
1: Yeah. The problem is that they've got outfield depth. It's just not good enough or we don't know if it's good enough yet. And look, I, I, if Yasiel Puig's market is like two for 22 or two for 24 or something, I still don't know if I would do that. Like they, He's not essential for them, but the good teams would do this. Like You would have Puig, and then if you needed Daniel Johnson or Greg Allen or Bradley Zimmer, those would be the guys who replace the guys who are injured or inconsistent. Instead, odds are you're going to go to spring training with an outfield of Mercado in center, Reyes part-time and right, part-time at DH, but also fighting with Bowers and Bradley for playing time at DH and maybe left field for Bowers, who's also fighting with Luplo and Daniel Johnson. And it's like, like, that's what's going to happen here. Um, But like, would it be the worst thing in the world if you and it doesn't have to be Puig, but you could sign someone who's a little bit proven. And then, you know, then you have depth and you have guys maybe have to really fight and and scratch their way to playing time. I I don't know. I I just, yeah, like they they need a second or third baseman. And like, what happens if you sign, say, I don't know. Like, who could they sign to play third or second? Like, I know Mustakis will be out there.
0: Yeah. The one that I say, and then duck for fear of getting stuff thrown at me is this dribble Cabrera. Yeah. I actually. Well, so
1: like, what if they sign I mean, him, but then he's a complete and... flop? Like, you you need a backup plan. That's that's the yeah. issue. So, like, go sign Cabrera and also trade for somebody.
0: Yeah, yeah, and then the internal depth becomes the filler, in your next line of defense. Uh, but it, I think it's just so much more important. They build more depth on the position player side because they just didn't have enough of it this year. And credit to them, they found a way to. Put it together, pitching-wise—not just piece it together, but look like it's really set up, really pleasantly for the future in the starting staff, and maybe just through that depth, you create some depth in your bullpen too by kicking some guys to relief roles. I don't know, but they've got to be able to weather the storm better than they did in the position players side of things. And I'm just looking at these playoff teams, and and, and not just who they're running out in their starting lineups, but their ability to you know, make adjustments late in the game and and be aggressive with pinch hitting and do all these things that I could never even dream of the Indians doing this year because at the end of the year, like we talked about a hundred times, they had Ryan Flaherty starting at second base in games that mattered. Yep, Can't can't be happening that way. Cannot. Unless, I mean, if Ryan Flaherty is playing games, it should be because you've lost four or five guys to injury, not just the one guy that was starting at second base and was playing – yeah, at times this year.
1: No, I agree completely. I, I would say bullpen depth is the other one for me. Um I, I don't I don't know how to feel about this year's bullpen. Like it was better than expected. It was it just seemed like it was hanging on by a thread all year and the thread kinda snapped in September. Um but like if they would have gotten to the playoffs, would you really have had confidence if you know, Aaron Savali was your game three starter and you pulled him after five and you had to get navigate four innings with Hand and Carrasco and Ali Perez and Whitgrin and Goody. Like yeah. I I don't know. Yeah, I mean they I they, might they, feel differently after a full year of Karen check and but I like I, yeah. I wouldn't be opposed to maybe making a trade for another
0: hard throwing reliever. Yeah, power, more power arms would be uh, a definite desire. Um even you know hunter wood kind of had his moments and then was just not as great at times as well too but at least he comes over and he throws 95 and you're like okay well that looks at least a little different than uh guys that are up there heaving essentially spitballs (laughs) trying to get guys out um so more power arms would would be high up on the list for me and God, they just grow on trees now. Everybody just throw a guy in that throws a hundred. I'm watching these playoff games, and the guys that throw 95 plus, it's it's pretty much everybody that comes out of the bullpen is 95 plus. But I remember back in the day when a guy hit triple digits, like there was they would they would stop. It would be like breaking news on CNN. <laughs> guy threw guy threw a hundred. Hold on, everybody. Now it's you've got like this. Second to last reliever in the bullpen comes in and throws triple digits, and no one even talks about it. It's like, yeah, <laughs> I remember like if you if threw 93 three
1: <laughs> in like the late 90s, if you threw 93, like that was like, oh, that's like that's pretty hard. Like, that's I remember, like, was there a video game? Like, I- I'm trying to remember if in the video games, if you created a player, could you control how hard they threw? Uh, yeah, I think there were ones where like if you held down longer. Yeah, because I want to say, like, like even if I, I created myself in a game, like I still only threw, like, 94, 95, because that was, like, as hard as it would be, like, realistically. Um, <laughs> like, no one threw 97. Are you kidding me? And then now it's, like, 97, really? Like, is that your change-up? Or...
0: That's embarrassing. When I – When I created myself in video games, why did I make myself like realistic? I would think, hey, I'm going to make myself, you know, kind of this middle of the road starting pitcher because we don't want to go too crazy here. The fact that I'm playing in the major leagues isn't crazy enough. But (laughs) (laughs) let's be realistic here. I'm only probably going to hit 93 with the fastball. Can't go out there and throw 98. That would just be
1: insanity. I did the same thing. And and it was like, because when I was a pitcher, like, I did not throw hard. I think I topped out at Chris Ostenheimer. Our buddy always makes fun of me because I'd say the hardest I ever threw was like 74 maybe, um, and usually it was in the 60s. But I would always add, but it, it 60s with sink. And, like, <laughs> like I had good days when, when that sink made a big difference and, like, I'd throw the off-speed pitch. Like, I knew, I knew what tunneling was back in the day. I just didn't call it tunneling. Um, uh, but, but I would do the same thing when I created myself in a video game. It was like, I don't want to throw too hard cause I want it. Like I want to have to overcome my, my abilities are not what they could be. And, and that needs to be reflected in this fictional video game that I'm playing <laughs> for some reason.
0: <laughs> Meanwhile, everyone else is making themselves Steve Nebraska from the, the fictional character from the movie, the scout, which was
1: played by <laughs> Brendan Fraser.
0: I would ask you if you've seen that movie, but. Uh, yeah,
1: I know. Brendan Fraser. What were the, what was the movie? Uh, we he, what, man, the, no, the mummy, it's the, the one with the devil or something. Oh, uh, with Liz Hurley, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember the name of the movie. No, actually, I know Brendan. Bedazzled. Fraser from, yes. Brendan Fraser was in a few episodes of Scrubs. That's what I know him from. Oh.
0: Well, he was also a two-way star for the New York Yankees in a different universe. You should go watch that movie. Uh, it, has, it features a guy throwing up before his start, and it's very uh, Clevenger-esque. Do you have a random Cleveland Indian of the day for me?
1: I do. I was just composing my top 25 random jersey sightings of 2019, which will be out to the world on Friday morning. Um, Man, they, they always blow me away, but it makes it it's tough because then I, I lose track of have we already done this as a random Indian on the podcast? And like this per- person, I have not seen this jersey. This would be a great one. Um, this person is. Wow. Only 36 years old. Played for the Indians, pitched for the Indians in 2008 and 2009. That was the end of his major league career, 2009. Um, boy, he played in the majors for two teams, also played in the minors for four others, um, and a left-handed pitcher. Um,
0: so how old would that have made him when he... Played with the Indians? Those were his
1: age 25 and 26 seasons. He he made 12 appearances with the Indians in 08 and 09, 10 starts, 63 total innings, ERA 6'11. Uh
0: that was a little too early for the Chris Seddon years. Chris
1: Seddon? Um but left hander. In his Major League career, uh, he made 22 appearances, 17 starts, 105 innings, a five eighty-one ERA. You can see why he didn't really last. Uh, He was drafted. He was a first-round pick in 2004 by the Blue Jays out of Texas A&M. Seven uh, years ahead of Tyler Naquin in College Station.
0: Uh, I don't, I don't got it yet. I might not have this one.
1: So the Indians acquired him uh, in a trade in two thousand eight.
0: Yeah, I can't. I, don't... I can't think. Of, I can think of all of the left-handers from
1: around this time. So we've them... we've gone through them. What what do we have? Yes. We have like Laffy, Tallett, Traber, right? Scott Lewis.
0: Uh, yeah, Scott Lewis. Um, but it's none of those ones, and I can't remember if. Uh, I, I can't remember.
1: All right. If I, if I tell you how they acquired him specifically, it'll probably give it away.
0: I mean, yeah, go for it.
1: He was part of a 2008 trade with the Milwaukee Brewers.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, I was just thinking about this dude the other day. Uh, was it Zach Jackson?
1: It was the other Zach Jackson, uh he was boy, that trade was weird when you think about it because you had Zach Jackson, pitcher Rob Bryson, who I think like they thought somewhat highly of um never made it to the majors though, and then obviously the two pieces everybody remembers, Matt Laporta. And the player to be named later, of course, Michael Brantley. Um, Man, it, it's crazy to think back. You could do this. Maybe this would actually be a fun series of articles, but like. Or even podcasts, you go back in time and just say, what if this trade didn't work out this way? Like, what if Michael Brantley wasn't the player to be named and it was Taylor Green instead who didn't end up doing anything in the majors and I think now is like a scout for the Brewers um, and the Indians just it would have been Laporta and nothing so essentially it would have been nothing for CeCe or you know if Carlos Carrasco never becomes what he becomes that trade with the Phillies looks disastrous if
0: or if you know Knapp never gets hurt enough that he's never able to continue his career and he actually becomes the centerpiece of the
1: yeah uh, Cliff Lee trade you know, yeah. if they never trade Brandon Phillips or if if they don't get everything they got from the Expos and the, if the Expos aren't desperate and need to trade for Bartolo Colon. Like right. There's... If they don't think this is the last year of their existence.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. No kidding.
1: Uh,
0: crazy to think about. And we have a lot of time this offseason. So who knows? We might approach the topic at some point. Any parting words for our. Listeners on this episode of the Selby's
1: godcast No, thanks for bearing with us. Uh, since this episode is brought to you by Dayquill.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah, well, all but, we did was
1: just sit around and talk about
0: the good old days
1: and what
0: it's like to interview people. I feel like we really talked about a lot this week.
1: No, I think there's a segment of the listenership though that likes when we pull back the curtain and and not only I mean we give them insight into what these people they see on TV are really like. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I encourage everybody to continue to send in ideas, what you might want us to talk about questions you have, uh, just ideas for stuff. We have a bunch of things and once we get healthy, I think we'll start banging out a couple of these a week and, uh, yeah, I'm excited. I I like, I like the off season when it's October, not so much when it's January, but <laughs>
0: Yeah, because there's, you know, hope for what is on the horizon. We have so much more time to talk about all of these things. And then within four weeks, we've burned through all of our topics. And, well, shit, something better happen soon or else we're just going to be sitting here talking about old games from 1996 for two hours every single week.
1: Well, we should talk about Puig at some point soon. And then I I know we want to have a deep discussion on – Francisco Lindor and and what they should do, what their options are, what's realistic. Um, So we'll we'll get to that soon, too, because I know that's a hot button topic for everybody. And maybe we can talk about it without having to be radio hot takey like so many of the conversations seem to be.
0: Well, until the next episode, I'm going to shake Zach's hand just so we don't have any sort of stories in the future. God, what the hell was
1: that? I don't even know. Until
0: next time, we're out of here. See ya.
1: The Selby is Godcast featuring Zach Meisel and TJ Zuppi is presented by our supporters at Anchor. To help support the podcast, visit anchor.fm slash selbyisgodcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear, we sure hope you do, be sure to leave us a five-star review. And if you have suggestions, drop us a DM on Twitter at SelbyasGodcast. Thanks for listening.